As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a very special, important human to introduce to you today. Her name is Lorea Gaston. She's a former model. She's an actor. She is the founder of the nonprofit Lunch on Me. This is an organization dedicated to offering organic, healthy food and holistic healing to those experiencing houselessness, unshelteredness, homelessness. She is a regular public speaker, podcast guest. She's an activist. She's filmed a documentary called 43 Days on Skid Row, which depicts her time living with Los Angeles's Skid Row residents and offers up a true picture of what life is really like in one of America's largest communities of unhoused folks. She's the author of my new favorite book for 2021, Love Without Reason, subtitled The Lost Art of Giving a Fuck. It is now available and published by Sounds True. Laria, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. Quite the introduction. <laughs> you know, you're quite the lady, I have to say. Um, I was greeted this morning with a recommendation for a podcast to listen to Mark Nepo being interviewed by Sharon Salzberg quite recently. And he said something in the middle of this podcast that I had to stop, rewind, listen three times, and knew that I had to start our talk today with it. And it goes like this. The miracle is that whomever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need in their struggle. I'll say it again. The miracle is that whomever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need in their struggle. This woman, my listener, started this nonprofit by recklessly <laughs> giving a fuck about other people. And this book, Love Without Reason, is basically chock full of instructions as to how to do that on the regular. Um, your story needs to be heard, so I would love for you to give us the sort of background of how Lunch on Me began and why it began. Well, the first time I ever fed someone who was experiencing homelessness, I was 14 years old, and I was going through my uncle's restaurant and the food that he had and the things that were perfectly good. Anyone that's been in the restaurant industry understands that so much food gets thrown out just by protocol. And I was getting a lot of edible food ready to be thrown away. And a man was digging in a trash can. And that was like my fleeting aha moment where I had recognized there was a need I could meet just by being aware and mindful. And I had an amazing interaction with this man. I always say that it was my first encounter with an angel. And from that moment, it, it definitely 
planted a seed where I recognize needs around me and how I could meet them just by being mindful. And so for 10 years, I grew up in the church, 10 years, um, for anyone who knows what tithing is, you give 10% of what you have, you know, it's meant to be distributed somewhere else. It's, it's definitely um, a part of a Christian discipline. And what I did was I loved feeding people. So I took 10% for 10 years and I would always, any person I could find, I would give them money, especially even when my own life was going up and down, I still always consistently did that. And I would feed people, I would give them money. And after a while, after 10 years of doing that in silence, I was like, I wanna go help nonprofits. You know, In my mind, that those were the do-gooders. So I was like, I wanna join that space because they're probably doing a lot more than I am. And I feel like maybe I can help and be of assistance and make a bigger change and help that space. So when I started volunteering at nonprofits, I was really disheartened by the experience I had. For 10 years, I have walked with hundreds of people and fed people from all walks of life, every place I've went. And I had a completely different experience when I navigated myself compared to the nonprofit world. I kind of seen the separation, you know, where there wasn't the humanity, there wasn't that human contact that I had had for years. And I had recognized that I didn't know anything about the nonprofit world, but I knew it with conviction. I knew how to love people. And I think I had learned that because I had been disciplined in that for so long. And I made a radical decision because I didn't like the separation. I didn't like the idea that it wasn't human to human. You know, it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like all the moments I had. So I made a radical decision. I was crying <laughs> because of uh, I was very disappointed at a nonprofit and how they were treating their, the, the people that were there. And how that was like my first time standing up because there was a nonprofit that had made more than enough money and they'd only cut corners in in services, you know, not administrative costs, but services. And I thought it was very important to honor people who had been sober, who had suffered from drug addictions when they were when they were sober for a year and they thought it wasn't worth the trouble to celebrate them. And that was the first time I was like, my heart was about to come out of my chest because all I thought of was, excuse me, one year is a big deal. (laughs) I mean, life is hard enough without experiencing homelessness, you know? So, you know, to experience homelessness and then sobriety, sobriety within a year, that's heroic. Mm. And that needs to be celebrated and acknowledged. So in that moment, I took the, the event on myself you know, and I was like, I'll do it myself. Like, and it's just because I couldn't sit back. And so that was the first time I had recognized how much love I put into everything and how much people, people didn't put a thought into the, into the details, into giving everything that they have, you know? And then I had also recognized that this community was, wasn't looked at as people. And I didn't understand that because I have, I mean, I've been uh, in this community since I was 14 years old. And I've always seen, I mean, honestly, they've been the highest people I've ever met. I've met angels. Like when I think about biblical context and the things that I've read about that felt like stories until I encountered them, I'd only encountered them in those spaces, in that deep suffering. So I decided to start lunch on me. And and the moment I didn't know how profound it was, I was just like, I'm just going to get everyone lunch. <laughs> like that was just kind of my idea is like, I want to pick up the bill. You know, I want to, I want to make sure everyone has food. You know, that's the start. You know, I might not be able to do everything, but that's one thing I can do is, is give someone that, that nourishment. Mm. I didn't recognize um, what I did was radical. And I was honestly, even though we've been very celebrated, I'm almost disheartened that the standard had always been so low. I think it's bare minimum. I think it's entry level. 
we should all be that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, having served the homeless, houseless, unhoused for many, many, many years, I know exactly what you're talking about when you say the angels, um, the people who are in the most dire need of the most sort of survival basic needs are usually the most grateful, the most connected to God, yes. and the most kind of present to what's happening because there there isn't anything else but survival. Um, when you talk about micro gestures, I think this is where my heart really burst open. We're in chapter three, right around page 39. What are some of the micro gestures that you feel our listener right now could go outside and practice in the way of, you know, locating and communicating with these angels in their own communities? Well, the first thing I think of when I think of micro gestures, I, I have to remind people we have to be aware, right? So the awareness is we have to reframe our thinking, you know, when we're serving, when we want to do good, because energy is everything, right? Like energy encounters most situations before we do, before we speak. And we have to start with recognizing that if we're serving this community, we have to recognize these are these are people. And when we do that, we have to, a lot of times people, you know, and, and again, it's, it's in language, it's in perspective. People say, how do I talk to them? You know, and it's like how you talk to your mother, your brother, your sister, like hopefully it's from a space of love. So recognizing like there is no difference. We all want the same needs, wants, acknowledgement, love. So when we're going in those spaces, we have to remind ourselves everything that we want, we need to bring. And I think that that starting in that space, just the root it, it gets easier. Um, I offer very simple things in the beginning, water bottles, granola bars, money if it's needed, you know, because I mean, that's important to me. I don't have a resistance towards giving someone money because I can't live in this life for free. So I understand like there's needs in so many spaces and to be open with meeting different needs at different times. Mm. And I start with um, love words. I would say, hey, love, hey, boo. <laughs> That's always how I start because I always mm. want people to recognize that, like, I see you, uh, you know, and I'm intentionally coming into your space just to do right by you. And I think that starts with energetically where you're coming from to begin before you even start is why are you here? Like making that decision of why are you in this space and, and to come from the space that it's an honor to serve and we're supposed to do this. It's not that we're, we're do-gooders or superhuman we're just being aware of our assignment and position and making sure that when we're in that space, we offer whatever that is, if it is time. And then if someone's in front of a grocery store or a gas station, I always say, hey, love, I'm going inside. Can I get you something? Would you like something to drink or eat? Those are the first things I say. I carry granola bars in my car, many waters, because sometimes you're at stops, especially if you're in Los Angeles. Like Homelessness is crazy in certain areas where if you stop, you're going to encounter people. You might not have money. You might not have things in that moment. I also put $5 bills in my wallet. Like that's been a huge thing for me. I've always done that because it's just important to be able to have, like I'm so, I get so stressed out when I don't have money for someone. You know, we're in an age of just a digital currency. So yes. not, I'm, I'm very mindful of that. And that's part of my tithing. Like I always make sure I have, I have cash. And when I don't, I'm so stressed because I want to make sure that I can just meet anyone's need. Anyone that's in front of me, I feel like that there's a reason for that and to, to take that in. And the micro gestures, I think what makes it so great is 
I'm not asking people to make some left turn, life altering transition. I'm asking people to work with where they're at within their own real estate, within their own life, be more mindful of yeah. where they're navigating from because it's the need is all around us. And I think that in order for us to be better people and treat love as a discipline, micro gestures are important because I think that's how you, you, you do it. It's a discipline. It's not, oh, well, when it happens, it's being aware and curating that love. I think curating uh, spaces where it's like, you know what, when I'm at a coffee shop and someone's behind me, I'll say, hey, boo, can I get you something to drink or put your order on my tab and buy you coffee today? It's something that's simple, so small. And, and, and it's been such a wonderful life to have those interactions in thousands of spaces where it's like I have reached and touched so many people just by being mindful and aware that I can make my environment better and elevate it by being that, by showing up in that way, by, by acknowledging people. And, and it's something simple. Coffee is one of my favorite micro gestures because I'm drinking coffee now. It's one of my favorite things, you know? And um, there was a moment that I'd had with Street Fam where a guy had um, told me he was, I'd asked him what he wanted. And he said to me, he was like, honestly, he's like, I have, I have a little bit of food. He's like, I just want a coffee as a treat. He was like, to be honest, he's like, and, and when he said it, it was like, he felt like he was splurging, you know, he felt like it was, it was so much, but he said it, he was just like, I mean, that to me is the gift. Like, can you just get me a coffee? Because I can't ever afford a $5 coffee. And that's a treat. And like, when I thought about that, I just, I did think about it as a gift where, you know, yes. someone's on food stamps, they're living off $3 a day. That's not going to cover a latte with oat milk. No. So, so I think about those things and I don't take them lightly. Like it is a privilege to be able to have a $5 coffee every day. Because yes, people are living off of a budget for food that's less than that. You write that you actually never feel overwhelmed with the huge issue of homelessness. Yeah. And mainly because you don't try to tackle the, the problem. Instead, you just go out and meet people and you open your heart and you offer what you have to give. This is on page 16. Yet at the same time, the work that you do with Lunch on Me tackles several issues uh, simultaneously. One is serving healthy, fresh meals, a zero waste kitchen. You know, I think you've already answered the question that I have, which is the sort of relation that you see between taking small actions and tackling huge issues. But what for you, what is sort of the, the highlight of your work at this time, at this moment in history? I mean, it's daily, you know, every time I see someone and I can make their day better, and I can, I can shift the energy of a room by being so mindful of what I contribute to it. Mm. It's, it's a daily dose, right? Like I don't, I don't look at what I've done because it's already been done. I look at what I'm currently doing and it's always, who am I encountering today? Like who, who, who will God have me speak to today? What will I say? And, and to be so mindful and conscious of what's in front of me, I feel like is the biggest gift. And I'm, I'm most proud of that, that I mean, I can't name how many times I've just done the right thing. I've lost count. And that to me- Very inspiring. You know, that to me is the biggest thing. I have so much peace in that. And not to say that I'm happy with the way of the world. I think that we've got a long way to go, but I know I am inching towards it, you know, every day. And I'm, and I'm using my life, this lifetime to inch towards it 
to nudge us, you know? I'm not a pusher. Yes. I, I feel like in the space that I am, the gift I have is to nudge. Mm. And that's, that's what I plan to do. Good. I, I actually can't get over it, how inspired I am and have been since I opened your book several months ago. At the beginning of this book, you introduce us to your grandmother, whom you call mom, by the way. Oh, yes. Can you walk us into your relationship with her? Because I think a lot of us just need to feel and hear this. Oh, yes. So my grandmother's name is Johnny. Oof, I can't even say her name without quivering. Um, mm. Yeah, she, I think that, I think most people who decide to take on their assignment, they always have ascended masters to walk with. And I was grateful I had one because I think uh, she was, she was the contrast to all the things I, I encountered in life. And she reminded me, I think that, you know, when things get tough, no matter what, I think there's always some form of light that's going to assure you that there's another side. And she was such a contrast to the world, especially when you're an empath, right? Like, you know, you feel everything you, it's so much to not inherit. Yes. I'm grateful that I had a woman in my life who knew her position and assignment in, in the world. And she made sure that she upheld that through her example. You know, she didn't try to teach with her words. All she did was she lived it. And I was so grateful to have someone that was in that space. She showed me all the things that love should be. And it definitely showed me that, yes, <laughs> she was She was definitely, I, I was grateful that I had an angel covering me because the world isn't always easy, especially if the cards you're given are, <laughs> are pretty low in the totem pole. <laughs> so I had someone to, to show me a space I could get to. I think that seeing her life, it gave me a blueprint to where I needed to walk towards. And that was forgiveness, that was kindness, that was so many things. She was the first time I had seen someone who was vulnerable and strong. Yeah. A lot of times we look at how, you know, how people exhibit their strength is 180 degrees from anything that's even spiritual. And to see someone who's in such alignment and strong and gentle and forgiving. I'd never met someone who knew exactly her position in the world and how she was to show up. And it wasn't just in her actions, her energy like radiated that, you know? Every encounter she had, I would watch people change. I'd seen it, you know? I'd seen it with my own eyes from a very young age and to the point where I didn't understand it because it wasn't my time to walk it. I didn't get it till she left fully. You know, but I knew, I knew it was, I knew, I knew what was in front of me was definitely my teaching. I knew that, which is why I ran towards that space. That's why I chose the light. Wow. We are walked through the moment when you were 15 in your book and your mother, your birth mother, uh -huh. saw you hanging out in the living room of her house with your girlfriend at the time. Yes. She hadn't known that you were gay before that, and she actually grabbed you, pulled you outside, and abused you, basically kicked you, called you names, told you you were going to hell. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Made me cry so hard. Two years later, I think this is the most important thing for our listener, aside from the micro gestures that you will now go and do and the $5 bills that you will now carry around. <laughs> Two years after that, you were 17 and you chose to tell your grandmother about your 
uh, sexual preference rather than let her discover it by accident like your birth mother had. Your grandmother was born in the 1930s, of course, and you'd always considered her to be pretty conservative because of the way she talked and the way she dressed, of course, church-going woman. She'd also been a faithful churchgoer, as you write, quote, so I was afraid she wouldn't like what I had to say. I didn't think she'd hurt me like my birth mother had. I knew her better than that. But I was afraid she might reject me, which would have been so much worse. You write, I was sweating. I was so nervous, but my grandmother didn't even flinch when I told her. <laughs> she just looked at me calmly and she said, do you know how many accounts of homosexuality there are in the Bible? And you said, no. I said, afraid of where this was going. Your grandmother replied, there are six. Do you know how many times the Bible talks about love? No, I said again. Me neither, she replied. It's in there so often that I lost count. It's safe to say that God's emphasis is on love and not on who you're dating. <sighs> Why are you making me cry? <laughs> like I'm sorry. What a gift, though. You know, I have so many friends who've been through so much hardship around this. And yeah. Oh, it's just such a gift to read something like that. It's forever imprinted on my mind. Yeah. You know, there's the truth right there. Yeah. In black and white. I, I'm just so thankful that you shared that at the beginning of this book, because without even that incident, the book is so full of so much wisdom and practical knowledge. But then that, uh, it just made the whole thing just the most, per it's my favorite book of this year. And it's Thank you. official. Um, I want to define micro gesture for our listener. It's on page 41 of the book. Noun. A small, simple, intentional act of love or caring for another person that can be done by anyone, anywhere, at any time. And I just want you, if you're listening to us right now, I want you to grab a pen and just write down a few things that you could do, a few micro gestures that you could do that might change something for someone else. On page 97, you say, we're, we're all going to have our lesser moments in life, times when we fall short of the ideal, miss opportunities. This is just part of being human. And I'm not suggesting that we beat ourselves up about it, but we can admit when we stumble. I appreciated this so much, especially in the context I would recommend to our listener that you read in the 90s, this story. There's something about speaking aloud when you feel like you've screwed up that helps other people if you'll pardon my french helps other people give a fuck about you that i think is very important as a lesson coming from you and and you're young and so it's a really beautiful thing to have so much wisdom at such a young age um where does this fall into your world this sort of aspect of uh, admitting when you stumble and moving forward? I think it, it first, it's, I, I, first of all, accountability is something I talk about so often um, because I think that it dismantles our ego, right? It dismantles our defenses and it allows someone to understand our vulnerability. One of my closest friends, her name is Tanya Brooks. Um, she's one of my best friends. She's 63 and 
she showed me that first. She was the first person to apologize in my life and own her stuff. And when I, first of all, it was foreign to me because I don't think most people even know how to have that yet. You know, it's, I think that's a discipline in itself because it's also an act of vulnerability and um, dismantling. But it is the most freeing and liberating space you can have with someone. You know, every time uh, she messes up, I mess up. Like, we're super close. I talk to this woman every day. And and again, like, the, the age gap, you know, she, you know, we feel very close. You know, I'm 33, she's 63. And, um, but, you know, my grandmother and her mother were the same age, so we were kind of raised in the same generation. And that is one of the single-handed, most powerful, loving things you can do, because I believe that that's when you can go to the deepest space with someone. And she is my example of that because she was the first person. I'm <laughs> so forgiving because I just want to get it right with someone, you know? Most of the time I'm just like, just admit you're wrong so we can be better again, you know? And mm-hmm. she was the first person that was able to do that. And what made it so great was the fact that once she did it, I was just like, okay. And there was nothing, there was nothing further than that. You know, when she did that, she... I recognize in that moment, if you love someone and it's not about judgment and it's just getting to a better place and solution oriented, then that's what you do. Mm. That's such an act of love. And she showed me love in that space because I'm like, she's the first person ever came back to my life and apologized, but not just apologized, made, made a list of all the things she was apologizing for. Beautiful. You know, she wanted, she wanted it to be clear that she knew her contribution to whatever was falling short. And we're all going to fall short, but it's what we do after that stumble. And I have found in my life with the people I love the most, owning your stuff, it takes you to such a deep bond in love. And then it also allows two people to take away judgment. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all going to get it right. We're all going to get it wrong. But it's what you do with those wrongs really shows the difference in your growth. Mm. And I think it's a requirement. And it's a requirement because I have such an example of a woman who does that in my life. And to the point where we laugh about it now, when we stumble, we're in a space where it's just, we, we take it and understand it and we wear it. We own it. We own it so easily. Mm. And I learned that was a gift that I received from her that in my life, it's, it's, it's made me have a different requirement with the people I love. You know, it's allowed me to set a tone because what she did for me, I now do for others. You know, I own it and it's okay, it's safe. It's safe when you love people. If the goal, the end goal is to get it right with each other, it's like, let's say, it's almost like, I don't know, I feel like puppies give you the example. You know, they do something wrong, they're like, okay, can we play now? Like, it's that same idea of taking away this ego and this guard and saying like, all right, I'm gonna admit everything I did wrong and genuinely mean it, not just saying it but meaning it, reflecting, taking a moment and recognizing your stuff mm. and being like, I'm, I, I want to own this because I want to get back to the good stuff with you. On page 104, you actually give a step-by-step uh, guide for how to apologize, which I found really beautiful. Number one is authenticity. There's basically nothing worse than a hollow apology. Mm-hmm. Take a moment or more if needed. You write, before apologizing to understand how your actions or words affected the other person. So you're not just saying sorry, but you're actually feeling sorry for what happened. 
You say you go on to say that apologies aren't supposed to be about giving up your power or even establishing who's right or who's wrong. This is about letting people know that you care about them and their feelings. So first, you actually have to care. Two, clarity. When you do say the words, I'm sorry, don't stop there and don't be vague or offhanded or fast about it even. Make it clear what you're apologizing for. I'm sorry for fill in the blank. Thirdly, you talk about acknowledgement, which is really nice. Show the person, it's very nuanced, show the person that you understand how you've hurt or negatively affected them. I'm sorry, I was late and I didn't call. You must have been worried. I can see now that it screwed up your plans. To, to do that is the very beginning of true compassion. Yes. And finally, listening, number four, don't assume that your words are the end of the <laughs> apology. You have to allow the other person now to respond. And if it isn't already clear, encourage the person to whom you're apologizing to tell you how your actions have impacted them and what you could do to make it better. It's so grown up, so beautiful. <laughs> and I think, I think one of the keys in this chat that we've just had is to make apologizing a very natural, regular, normal affair. Absolutely. And it's so liberating, like having that space. And I know how rare it is because the dynamic I have with the people in my life, I look at other spaces or I look when other people come into my life and how they don't have that model and example. And I also have to recognize that because it's so, so foreign to people, people often have to recognize if someone is coming from that space, we have to be so solution oriented that we recognize the person is trying to get it right. And we have to also get to a space that when someone comes to you and they are apologizing from the genuine place, not not a lot of the social cues and, and things that people mm -hmm. have been taught that are empty apologies. But when people really, they, that really sinks in, then we also have to embrace it as though they've done nothing wrong. And that's the most important part is on both ends. When a person can get to that space, you need to honor it because it's now needs to move from being right and wrong. And we have to recognize that. Is what we're feeling with the person even rooted in a space of, I want to be good with you? Or is it, I want to be right? I want to one-up you, you know? And it's like, that's something that needs to be dismantled. And that's a whole nother conversation with how people, their interactions with people they love feels more like war than it does teammates. Yeah, I've, I've gone through periods of time like that and it's no way to live at all absolutely not i don't understand it it's so it's so much to me like i just yeah. I don't and it's again i have different tools i have a different understanding so it's like you have to give that grace of mm -hmm. you haven't walked this walk yet you haven't gotten this yet you haven't grasped it or you haven't even made it a discipline you know this might be the first few steps to it and it's a lot of grace that happens but who when you can get someone on the other side what a relief yeah you, I mean, I'm sure you know. Sometimes I'm like, I am tired. People are just going uphill for no reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just to re and just to recognize that that what what they're doing is they're doing it just because it's familiar to them. Absolutely, it's not that they're wrong and you're right or you know better or you know you're a better person. It's just that's what's familiar. You got to give them grace. A hundred percent. And I think people have to be receptive. So yeah, no, I love that, and I love that you said that because I have not heard someone speak about that on a, on a podcast. And I appreciate that because I think that is one of the most important things.
Dude, that's like, that's one of the most relevant aspects of the book, and there are so many. Um, last question, I promise. Page 145. I'm on your menu of micro gestures. Yes. Our listener, when you get this book, this is not an if, it's a when. When you get this book, go to the menu of micro gestures first. Have fun. Look in there and see, because there you will see, before you even read the story of this incredible woman, you will see what you can do right this second to the person closest to you, whether or not they live with you, to change their lives with a tiny gesture. The first is pay attention. I, I just want to read the list of them because I think it's so, it's so um, mind-blowing. Servers and cashiers. Okay, I'm not even going to say what you say underneath each heading. I'm going to do three more. The roll-up. <laughs> That's my favorite. The roll-up. <laughs> Yo, when you roll up on somebody at the coffee shop and you tell them that you're paying. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's 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 a rather than waiting for somebody to reach out it's you rolling up and yeah. and and helping or offering at least offering your help um pick the wallflowers oh, what a beautiful thing what a beautiful woman you are i have to thank your grandmother <laughs> for this be someone's eyes this is so beautiful and our listener, Be My Eyes, is actually an organization that helps blind and low vision people lead more independent lives by connecting them with what they call micro volunteers to assist with everyday tasks. To become a micro volunteer, all you have to do is download the free mobile app and wait for a call. And when someone needs help, you'll be connected to a live video chat. The person on the other end might want help choosing a t shirt to match their outfit or maybe. They'll point you up to a phone or a package of food and ask you to read the expiration date. Whatever it is, it generally only takes a few minutes and you can do it from wherever you are and as long as you have your smartphone. Like, woman, seriously? <laughs> what a blessing. What a blessing you are on this planet. Last one I'm going to read. Take people for treats. Now, we mentioned earlier in this talk what a treat is, quote unquote, a treat to someone on food stamps. When you take someone for a treat because they don't have a lot of extra cash, you can ask them what they would like. You can offer them a donut, a kombucha, a shitty magazine, whatever, whatever the treat happens to be for that person. But you have made their day. You've probably changed their life. And there are more micro gestures. I'm only reading you the first few. There are so many ways that we among the truly privileged can just help other people with the tiniest moments of our day. And that is the invitation that you bring. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to you. Thank you. I'm just, oh, you are my, I appreciate you. I really do. Same. I can feel it vibrationally. Like I just, I appreciate you so much. I feel and same. Will you please tell our listener, where they can find you and give as many links and as many places as you wish. So we have lunchonme.org, which is our organization. Um, you can join, you can purchase apparel. The proceeds go to our programs. You can donate monthly. 
become a pledger. Uh, there's Lorea.com if you'd like to reach out to me about volunteering and helping. And then we have Lorea's Bodega, which is our actual merch. And we have a brick and mortar store in Los Angeles. Where exactly? It's in Koreatown off 6th Street. Nice. And we also have art culture studios. So we have a recording studio and the proceeds go to our programs as well. Wonderful. For like content creators and things that need a place to shoot and record. Right. Have space right. right above the bodega. Very smart. Oh my God, you're so smart. I want to say thank you so much. It is a real honor for a gal like me to speak to a gal like you who's doing so much good in this world. I, I truly thank you. Thank you. I thank you so much for sharing your platform with me and your audience. And I just know that we'll do more in this world, you know, just by people recognizing ways we can show up. Yes, indeed. You know, these are the big things. These are the shift, shifting moments. Yes. Yes. Please don't hesitate to call on me whenever you have anything to share. Okay. Thank Courses, you. Courses, books, anything at all. I'm right here. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.